Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Nation. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 90. This is a special episode in that we're not going to have our regular features because of the length of the final part of my interview with Father James Altman. It's a little bit long, but if you're like me, you'll be enthralled by everything Father says. And I have a special bonus for you from Father Altman after the interview. Before we get started, though, I want to draw your attention to a couple of very special links in my show notes. If you're a regular listener of The Cantankerous Catholic, you know I've shown in past episodes that the Democratic Party is linked to Satanism. Well, two very interesting videos from the Church Militant have come out that gives even further evidence to this. One video is 13 minutes long and the other is an hour long. I urge every Catholic to watch these two videos by clicking the link in my show notes. We'll be right back after this message. I usually promote one of my books here, but from now on until the election, I'm going to run this. I have absolutely no doubt that President Trump will win re-election in a landslide victory on November the 3rd. However, and I pray I'm wrong, on November 4th, we'll see a level of violence that hasn't been seen in America since the Civil War in 1861. Certainly, we need to pray for God's mercy and protection, but we must also prepare. I'm begging you to spend the month of October building up your food reserves. If I'm right about the violence, it may be weeks before you'll be able to shop for any essentials, especially food. Be cautious, stay safe, and pray a lot. The two primary topics in this part of the interview are emotionally charged for many Catholics. The first topic I get Father Altman to talk about is Vatican II and how things have changed. The other topic he talked about was communion in the hand. I've been a Catholic for 32 years and I've never once taken communion in the hand because by the time of my first Holy Communion, I knew everything Father is going to tell you today. Let's listen. There were a couple of things that you mentioned uh, that I'd kind of like to touch on and get clarification. Is that all right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, one of the things you talked about was Vatican II. Now, I have, you know... Again, that's a several hours conversation. (laughs) Well, yeah, totally, sure. But quite often, I get nailed to the cross, so to speak, because I am critical of Vatican II. And I've always taken Cardinal Burke's stand, and I've always explained to the people, the problem is not Vatican II. The problem is the aftermath from Vatican II, because Vatican II's um, dogmatic documents were absolutely beautiful. In fact, it was really just a completion of Vatican I, because it never got to finish, because of the Italian Revolution. Would you agree with that? Yeah, well, I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be foolish to disagree with anything Cardinal Burke said. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's actually, you know, what people don't understand. Here's what you, oh, the spirit of Vatican II, the spirit of Vatican II. There's no such thing. I agree. Sixteen documents, no mention of any spirit. And the first, there, in fact, I just prepared something. I'm sending 
out to all the people that I'm trying to send thank you cards to. Um, a picture of Vatican II, and then a picture of the Pachamama going on in computers. And I said, this yes. is what a council looks like. This is a council. And then the Pachamama, this is not a council. So uh, what happened in Vatican II is that there were 16 documents. Most people have not read them. And in fact, you know, when, when you quote them, then they get all mad. Oh, you just, you've just read those documents. I'm talking about the spirit. <laughs> because, well, it's not in the documents. But even if you can't read the documents, you just make it up as you go. Uh, anyway, but there were only 16 documents, only four were constitutions, and only two were dogmatic constitutions. My favorite, Dei Verbum, the Word of God, right? Oh, my goodness. I, I, tr- I actually tried to start memorizing that when I was in seminary. It was so beautiful. It was, uh, yes. So, so uh, the, the, there is a problem with some of the documents. First of all, and, and what people need to understand is that they're not, as con- consequently, because they're not dogmatic, that means they are not infallible. Right. go to Trent, that was pretty infallible, Trent. And Vatican II, I think, did say something to the fact that you were not trying to overrule Trent in any way, shape, or form. So uh, we have 21 councils of the church. None of them ever suggested in the aftermath, oh, there's a spirit that we have to follow now, the spirit of whatever. No, never. Not even Vatican II. This is, this is crazy made-up stuff by liturgical loons and crazy people afterwards. So, uh, but those documents are all just simply pastoral, except for the two dogmatic ones. And... Uh, and even the one on Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the other second dramatic one, dramatic one, it has openings that people took that they shouldn't have. There were ambiguities. Here's the thing. So in, in the, can I explain it this way? In the law, when you have a contract, you have a lot of boilerplate, it's called, a lot of language, right? And, sure. and so, but so that you don't cut down the rest of the rainforest, they have these things called gap fillers. You fill in the gaps with the standard boilerplate language in every contract. And if the only stuff you really have to put in a contract are the things that are absolutely critical, pertinent to this particular contract. So if you need something done by by September 1st, and it's key and critical to the performance of the contract, you put that in there, in writing. Or such terms as like dates, the amount of money, of course, that's always a critical issue in a contract, unless it's time and material. So you put that in the contract. And anything that's not there if a question arises, you just fill it in with a gap with like a universal com- uniform commercial code. Same thing for sacrosanct Concilium. You don't need to cut down the rainforest to put in every last little detail of 2,000 years, about 1,965 years, of liturgical truth handed down to us, unchanged and unchangeable, because we already know what it is. You don't have to restate it and make the document 5 million pages long that nobody's going to read. But what happened was, after Vatican II, liturgical loons and other people took the gaps that weren't put in there, and they filled it in with their own garbage. And and as a consequence then, in fact, there was a, there was a brilliant article. It's about six and a half pages long with a page and a half footnote. I, as a little boy, I knew something was wrong. When I was, when I was like maybe in fifth, sixth grade, uh, we had to go into the school the gym to while they were renovating the church, right? And I knew what the church looked like. And I said, my parents were Catholic. There was never a time. In fact, we used to go to Holy Rosary Cathedral in Toledo, Ohio every Sunday. And so I knew what a Catholic church looked like. <laughs> well, lo and behold, that we, after several months, we finally get to go back in the church for daily mass because Catholic school, we went to mass every day. Walk in the first time, and they had destroyed the sanctuary, like is what we see in so many other places. And on the back wall, what used to be in beautiful volcano and, and all this beautiful imagery and stuff, all of a sudden there was this purple and lavender basket weave kind of latticework looking paint. Oh, and it wasn't boy. even, and it was asymmetrical, by the way, which also drove me crazy. <laughs> when I go to the bank, you know, I, I now can't even go into the bank. But, you know, like the teller cards would have these cards up there, sitting right. like business cards. And I'd be straightening them up while she was taking care of my business. 
so to see this asymmetrical purple and lavender all along the back wall, and then it was like a green, dark green and lime green on the sidewall, is as a little boy, I just looked at this, I, I couldn't articulate what was wrong, but I certainly knew it was wrong. Well, this article now, I just got it from, well, I won't say from, I want to get in trouble, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a study of who did it and how they did it, because I always knew what they did. I found out who and how they did it. And so what we had is a couple parity. I think one was from Collegeville. That was a Benedictine. There was a Jesuit. That there were parity over there. You know what that is? Parity are the yes. big advisors, right? So they came back before Sacrosanct Concilium was even issued. And they came back and they started holding these massive seminars for priests and, and religious uh, leaders all around the country. And they'd say, this is what Sacrosanct Concilium is going to say. And they had all this agenda that they were following. It was all this crazy stuff. And, and ultimately what it was, was intended to, their idea was, their ideology was to Protestantize the Catholic Church. And Annabella Vignini, who was Paul VI's boyhood friend, who was kind of the head of the, the committee on the liturgy, um, he has this quote that just explains it all in one sentence. He said, we must remove from our sacred sanctuaries and from our sacred liturgy anything that would serve as a shadow or would be a shadow of a stumbling block to a Protestant. I think, are you kidding me? Well, why don't we just make it a Protestant? Leave the Catholic Church, go over to the Protestant Church. If you don't want it to be Catholic, get out, right? But you see, what offends Protestants? Statues of our Blessed Mother, a reminder of who the Mother of God is. So that's why so many places, they took the statues out of our Blessed Mother, broke them up and threw them into dumpsters. Listen, good, they're dead now. I wouldn't want to pet them when they tried to get in the front door and they're staring at Jesus. And he shows them a picture of what they did to the statue of his mother. Well, that's not going to, it did not go well for them that day. And, you know, they, they ripped out the altar rail. Why? Because Protestants don't believe in the real presence. You can't show reverence for it. And and they turned the church around. So now we're, we're talking to the people like uh, like Protestant pastors do. Holy water. Right? They changed the words of the holy water. You look at the Book of Blessings. It doesn't bless the water. And, and you know, since my first day as a priest, as a deacon, I thought to myself, this, this prayer is insufficient somehow. And so I started making the sign of the cross and invoking the Holy Trinity whenever I bless the holy water. So you actually got blessed. Listen, at the end of Mass, what happens? Priests are, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he makes the sign of the cross, right? In order to bless right. something, you have to invoke the Trinity and make the sign of the cross. You look, every one of your listeners, you go and you look at the Book of Blessings. Uh, Father Z called it Bob. He says it's beyond redeemable. It's not even good for the ballast of the sailboat. In the sailboat. It doesn't bless the water. It says, oh, when we're sprinkled by this water, let us be fresh. Are you kidding me? When I bless the holy water here, I do it in Latin. There's exorcisms in it, and I make the sign of the cross seven times. God bless you, so, Father. So the thing is, well, I'm, but I'm not the only one. We, we, those who know, know. And, and so, uh, but you see, that offends Protestants. Why? Because bless, truly blessed holy water is a sacramental. When you come into church and you dip your fingers in the water and you make the sign of the cross, venial sins are gone. Well, that offends Protestants because they want to just go just straight to Jesus, right? <laughs> so uh, that's another example of things that were removed from our sacred sanctuary. All sacredness that makes us Catholic was removed by intention by people that wanted to, that have infiltrated and destroyed the Catholic Church. Now, St. Paul, Paul VI knew this, and that's why he said the smoke of Satan has entered the sanctuary. Exactly. So what happened after Vatican II is stuff like that. People, bad people, heretical, apostate people in positions of power, including clergy, and not just clergy, but hierarchy, destroyed to the best they could, Holy Mother Church. And we're seeing the ramifications of it today. Do you know, 500 years ago, uh, Thomas Cramer, who was, who was like, a, it was Henry Dace or one of his successors, a right-hand man. Right. But, um, he wrote this book, it's called Cramer's Godly, or, or Michael Davies wrote this book, Cramer's Godly Order. They, they're, the Protestant playbook 
to destroy faith in the real present was communion in the hand. And so, and so 500 years later, after Vatican II, what did they do? They tried the best they could to stuff communion in the hand down our throats. The Protestant playbook, which destroyed faith in the Holy Eucharist. You know, before then, 99 and 9 tenths percent of Catholics believed in the real present. Six years ago, it was down 60% did not believe in the real present. A couple years ago, it went up to 69%. And I just saw a recent study. I think it was up to 74%. Now, don't believe in the real present. Unbelievable. So, so you see, look how fantastically they succeeded in their agenda of destroying belief in the real present by this communion in the hand. You know who, you know who started this in the U.S., by the way? The normal, ordinary means of reception of Holy Communion is kneeling down and receiving on the tongue. Yes. And, and so Cardinal Bernadine from Chicago, who celebrated Mass under the, that lovely colored flag, down yes. in Father Kalchuk's parish, right? He was president of the USC. It was like 74, 75, 76. And each year he tried to propose that the U.S. ask Rome for an indult, a special permission to receive communion in hand, because up until that point, it was never the practice in any diocese in the entire United States that that's what would happen. And, and he failed. He was voted down all three years. Now, as he's getting ready to leave, he knows this is the last chance, right? And he, and he fails again. So what does he do? He then, separately, after the failure of the vote, he starts calling up retired bishops and also bishops who weren't present, as if that's, you know, what this is, this is vote harvesting out in California. And he harvested enough votes that he shouldn't have taken in the first place to say, oh, I got enough that we can pass it, so we're going to have an indult, so we can have communion in the hand in the United States. It is still not the normal and ordinary means of reception. And by the way, can I say one more thing about it? By all means. Okay, so, okay. In, so not too long ago, like a couple months ago, the Catholic, Medi- what you heard was, Oh, communion on the tongue is more dangerous, so we're going to outlaw communion on the tongue. They're not allowed to do that, by the way. They I know. do it. They're not supposed to. They're not allowed to do it. But they did it anyway, some of them. And, and, but, um, so, and, and they, and then they justified it by saying, oh, communion in the hand is safe, right? But, but then, that, lo and behold, Catholic Medical Association of the United States comes out and says, no communion on the tongue is actually safe because, uh, your hands have a lot of germs. God knows where your hands have been. But the, but your saliva kills the virus. It doesn't get into your system through your mouth. So, uh, so communion on the tongue is actually safer. And, and what's more than that, than the Catholic Medical Association equivalent in Italy. Now remember this all started in Italy. The whole reason for the lockdown was to, what's that called? When you make the curve smaller. It was called, um, flatten the curve. Flatten the curve, right? yeah. Flatten the curve. We don't want to be another Italy. Let's, we gotta flatten the curve, flatten the curve. We, we need more, until we get enough ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. Let me find out that the ventilators are actually killing people. But flatten the curve. So, the, but, Amazingly enough, the Catholic Medical Association for Italy, the doctors over there said communion on the tongue is safer than communion in the hand. And if anybody should know, certainly Italy, where this whole thing started to, to blow up around the globe, and in two weeks suddenly the globe was shut down. And so I, I said, I, I think I might have said it in a but or maybe I even I might have chickened out. But here's the deal. Knowing that it's actually safer on the tongue, at least equivalent to but but actually safer, according to Catholic doctors. When you outlawed inappropriately, communion on the tongue in the first place, because you, uh, under the guise, under the explanation, under the justification that it was safer, communion in the hand. When you do that, because it's safer for the people, oh, it's safer for your elderly priest, too, and we're so concerned about the priest. We don't want any of them getting sick. So make sure <laughs> communion in the hand, because it's safer. When you find out that that's a lie, when you find out that it's actually safer on the tongue, or at least at least is safe, if not safer on the tongue, I have yet to hear one single bishop stand up and say, out of concern for my people and out of concern for my priests, 
we're not we're going to outlaw communion in the hand, which you're not supposed to be doing in the first place, which, by the way, has destroyed faith in the real presence. Now, 75% don't believe in it. We're going to start reinstituting reverence for the Holy Eucharist, as well as safety, and we're going to only have communion on the tongue. Boy, you watch. Not one of them has said that. And That's I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for them to do so. They're not going to do it. Makes you miss Bishop Morlino over in Madison, doesn't oh, it? Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a big... Nobody expected him to... Uh, that was... Yeah. 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 He was like some of these really great ones. He There's was that guy big, up in yeah. Duluth that, what was he, 55 or something like that, and he leaves the church, and, and he dies. It's just, oh, goodness, safe to see this happen. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i a friend of uh, Terry Barber. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, let's see. He's the uh, he's the founder of the... Uh, I can't even think of the name of them now. The kiosks that are set up in churches with uh, uh, CDs and so forth. Oh, from from St. Joseph Communications? Yes, Lighthouse. yes. He founded that. Oh, no kidding. Okay. And uh, he's also got the Terry and Jesse show on uh, iHeartRadio, or not iHeartRadio, but Immaculate uh, Heart Radio, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. But uh, uh, I was with him. Uh, he came up here to St. Louis to do a men's conference, nice. and uh, it was a chance for us to get together again. I spent most of the day with him, and uh, we would, Terry is something, that he'd just walk up to a complete stranger and start talking to him about the faith. Nice. And uh, uh, we were in the elevator, and, and this particular venue had an elevator operator, and he asked her if she was Catholic. She said she was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. And then he asked her about the real presence. She didn't believe in the real presence, but the reason she didn't believe in it is because no one had ever taught her about it. Mm-hmm. And I am convinced, in fact, this is what the Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy apostolate is all about. I am absolutely convinced uh, that the biggest reason for the crisis of faith that we have in the church today is because people are ignorant of the faith. They think they know the faith. In fact, whenever I, as charitably as I can, when I talk to them <laughs> about something, they'll say, I'll have you know I've been a Catholic all my life. Uh-huh. Or they'll say, I'll have you know I went to Catholic school for eight years. Yeah. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't mean that you're not ignorant of the faith. Yeah. Now, how, how? what do you think about that? Oh, gosh. Well, first, there's a really funny uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen quote about if you want your kids to lose the, lose the faith, send them to a Catholic school. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I've heard horror story after horror story. Uh, that when, truth, this is absolute truth. When I was in seminary, time I'm more times than I could possibly count in homiletics classes and and homilies by the by the priest we we're all told repeatedly 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 gentlemen you cannot have a homily longer than seven minutes on sunday or the people are just going to tune you out you're just you're wasting your breath no more than seven minutes and i thought you know even then i said you know if if your eternal salvation can be had with seven minutes a week well then you're a better man than me I mean, I've sat through, I think I counted it up recently, and I think it's 37, 38 semesters of college I've had in one form or another. And you sit there, and minimally, you've got a 50-minute class where you're paying attention, you're taking notes, because you don't know when something's going to show up on a test, so you better be, you know, in the in the best notes, are, the worst notes are better than the best memory, right, as the saying goes. So 
this whole concept of I'm going to catechize the people of God with seven minutes a week is is utterly and completely absurd. That's a new post-Vatican II development, too, by the way. I mean, you're old enough to know when we were younger, we got a little more than seven minutes. So uh, the there's a there's a way to express it is, is that if you don't grow beyond your your elementary school teaching in faith, then you've only developed a childhood level of faith. And when suddenly you're faced with adult problems and you only have a childhood faith to try to work through them, you lose the faith. It's no help you whatsoever. You need to grow in faith every single day of your life. There's a reason Jesus said, could you not, you know, pay attention with me, pray for an hour? I mean, we're really supposed to spend an hour a day and, you know, cumulatively doing something with regard to our faith. And if not, you know, if we don't want to spend an hour with Jesus today, what makes us think we really want to spend, we're fooling ourselves. We want to spend an eternity with him later on. So the, each one of us has, you know, we can blame the priest, and we can, because they're only giving you seven minutes of platitudes and pablum, but but each one of us has a duty and a responsibility to, to put in a little effort of our, you know, we certainly memorize all, when I was a little kid, I memorized all the baseball statistics, right? I could tell you every <laughs> all-star, you know, Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner, I could have knew them all, and, uh, Big Train Johnson, the pitcher. <laughs> uh, I mean, we certainly. I was sitting in a college class once, and they were regaling. The class was talking about, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers had gotten hurt. He's, uh, you know, the Packers quarterback, and and so they were talking about who they get to replace him, and they're giving all these statistics on that. And I thought, you know, a lot about this, but not so much about your faith. So we we have a duty if we can spend so much time learning this, that, and the other thing about so many irrelevant things that don't matter for eternity. We should be spending a little more time on our faith, which does matter for so we have to uh and and so when when somebody says well well i wasn't taught i'm thinking well self make any effort to, uh to learn your faith to study any 2000 years of the unchanged unchangeable truth not some modern joel osteen kind of uh let's all be happy and prosperity gospels i'm talking about 2000 years of unchanged and unchangeable truth. have you read trent it's very easy it's not difficult at all and it's pretty straightforward this 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 here you go uh there, so many people don't know their faith Surely bishops and priests are culpable, but individually we're culpable as well because we have not made the effort to to learn it ourselves. You know that's a hard to do. People don't like to hear that. Well, so yeah, that's why I said you you got to be in the parish for a while before you tell people this. But the fact of the matter is, is hey, read your Bible. You know? That's you know you're absolutely right. I'm amazed at the number of Catholics uh, who have told me that no, I, I I don't read the Bible. I get all the scripture I need in Mass. Excuse me. You miss out so much. Yes. Um, and and I also have people telling me, no, I don't need to learn the faith in better than what they taught me in the parish. Well, there hasn't been in probably 99.5% of parishes across this country, there hasn't been any competent, thorough catechesis in 50 years or more. Yeah. It all went to hell in the handbasket after Yeah. After and these, these people... Honestly, they do not know. You know, I teach uh, uh, I teach webinars on uh, Sunday nights called uh, Sharing the Catholic Faith. Uh-huh. Uh, we've taken a break for the summer because of COVID-19, but yeah. um, we start back next month. And people have said to me, they've sent me emails saying, you know, this is some real advanced stuff. This is hard. This is... Uh, uh, this is like going to a Catholic college. Sadly, what I'm teaching is exactly what Catholic eighth graders had to know by the time they graduated 70 years ago. Yes, 
Yes. Yep. And exactly. so I ask him, are you smarter than an eighth grader? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I'm my big thing. I I spent years making converts, thanks be to God, with his, uh, obviously, the assistance of the Holy Spirit, in small group, uh, in one-on-one and small group venues. And I've made hundreds of converts, literally. Eighty-four of them are my adult godchildren. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know what that parable of the town? That's it. You've got when you stand before our Lord and you open your hands and the souls of people that you have touched with His love. There it is. There you go. Yeah. But it occurred to me. I've always known that Catholics didn't know their faith like they should. But about five years ago, it occurred to me in a big way, and that's a separate story altogether. That uh, where I really needed to start spending my focus was on Catholics converting Catholics because. Mm-hmm. We need conversion every single day, yep. and most of us need it in a big way every single Amen, day, brother. <laughs> because <laughs> we're true. not taught the faith. And yeah. you can have all the you can think you have all the prayer life you've got, but until you know the faith, you really yeah. don't have a basis in a prayer life. Yeah, wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, completely. So I, I like to, people. One thing people do understand in America is sport. So I say so. Try to convey this same concept to them in a way that they can understand and the light bulb goes on and the scales fall off their eyes. I said, listen, you're part of the Catholic team, part of a team player. When you don't show up for Mass, it's not just, oh, uh, my bad, my bad. No, no, you're letting down the team. When I was a little boy, uh, I'd go to Mass. I had big families on both sides. I had like 100 first and second cousins. And I'd go to Mass and there'd be my cousins and my aunts, my uncles, my grandma, my grandpa, and, and, and great aunts and great uncles. They'd all be there. And if and they, creatures of habit that we are, we always sat in the same seat, right? So, uh, so I, if, if somebody, if a seat was empty, you just look, you just had the picture, and like, hey, oh, Aunt Margaret isn't there. Oh, what? Aunt Margaret had a brain aneurysm. She had a good excuse for not being there. But if we, if somebody wasn't there, we knew something was drastically wrong, right? Right. Because why? Because we're team players, we're part of the Catholic team, and we have to, we have to do our part. In sports, if you don't show up for practice, what happens? At best. You ride the pine, right? You sit on the bench. At worst, you get kicked off the team. Why as Catholics do we not understand that we have a duty to our teammates? Because it's not all about us. That's very Protestant, me and Jesus. Now, that's not the <laughs> church Jesus set up. He said, you're a team. You know, it's, you're in communion with each other. You get to heaven together. This isn't just you and Jesus. He never said that. So, so when, if you don't practice, Let's say, let's say, so like what you just said, when, when you said that you've got these converts that you've been able to share the faith with and they've saw the light and they've come to the faith, glory be to God. If, if let's say there comes a moment when God, when you're, you're God's on his team and he wants you to put you in the game because there's an eternal soul that needs your talents that he gave you, that you're supposed to you know, like make him <laughs> double them up, right? He wants to put you in the game. He looks down the bench and you're sitting there. He says, hey, buddy, you haven't been to practice in two months. I can't put you in. There you go. That is, uh, I would never want that to happen. That, uh, and God knows that I have dropped the ball. I've had bad practices. Uh, that, but I hope, I hope when the day I stand before him, he says, well, you did try. You know, uh, you know, I look at baseball players, right? They're paid millions and millions of dollars a year, the big ones. And, uh, they still only get on base about 30% of the time. That means 70% of the time they don't. They strike out, they ground into a double play, they fly out, whatever. They still go to batting practice. So it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect at our faith perfect at our practices of faith, that we're not going to fall, that we're not going to sin, but it does mean that tomorrow you come to back practice, because you're going to go up to the plate again, and God wants you to get a hit. 
So uh, you know, you know who Shaq O'Neal is, right? Yeah. I think he, I think he had the worst free throw average in the entire history of the NBA. <laughs> I'm sure at the end of practice, he tried to shoot a few hundred of them to just maybe get a little bit better. Uh, paid millions of dollars. I think he paid $16 million a year or something like that, for, irrespective of the, the endorsement. But you know what? He still came to practice. That's right. So it doesn't matter whether you're you're uh, all-star baseball player, whether you're Shaq O'Neal in, base, in, in basketball. you got to go to practice. That's the same for Catholics, especially when you know that at the end of time, at the end of time, there's eternity. And you want to make sure that God knows you're on the team. <laughs> you know, when you show, when you actually show up at the door, you want to say, oh, I recognize you because you were at practice yesterday. That's something people can understand. But so many people don't practice at all. That's true. Father, uh, I had a, whenever I made this appointment with your secretary, Maria, uh, I promised that I would keep it at an hour, and I'm already up <laughs> to an hour and a quarter. <laughs> yeah, so oh, it's all good. I'm all wondering good. if, we could do this again because there are actually four or five topics I'd like to separately talk to you about for six packers. I think, listen, you haven't said a thing that I haven't said to them, but to hear it from me and to hear it from a priest, especially a priest like you, that is so impactful to them. Uh, so can we, can we maybe make some appointments to do some more interviews later? Sure. The, the only thing I'd ask is that you make sure you go through Maria. And the reason I say this is just that once again this Saturday, I triple book myself. Right. Because I can't remember. Somebody asked me to do something on a Saturday a couple of weeks ago. I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think I don't think I have anything going on or Saturday. And then I realized, oh, no, it was, it was a Sunday. Anyway, whatever it was, it, was, it must have been a Sunday. I thought, oh, wait a minute. I can't go. No, I think, yeah, it was a Sunday because I, I can't go out to dinner. I have, I have to be up with Cardinal up at the shrine because he's going to do some confirmation. <laughs> I didn't remember that. So so it's just better to, to go through Maria and she can do You know, it's really funny about what you just said, too, because I tried to make a list of things that we could possibly talk about. Right. And and I worked diligently on it, uh, intensely, and we didn't talk about a single thing <laughs> that, I, that I had made on my list. So, yeah, so we can do it again. I'm glad. I appreciate that, Father, because Six Packers just love listening to you. They... They, they'd they really wish that the Cantankerous Catholic podcast were you instead of me. <laughs> oh, no, no, we all, you know, we're all, it's like Jesus said, uh, or St. Paul said, maybe it was St. Paul said, uh, we're all parts of the body. Yeah. And so you play your part of the body, I play my part of the body, and together as a team, you know, glory be to God. Exactly. Father, would you please, I, I, I know there's some, uh, uh, I know there's some, discussion or disagreement about whether or not it takes, but would you please give a blessing to our Certainly. listeners today? You bet. Well, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And through the intercession of St. Tarsisius, defender of the Holy Eucharist, the intercession of St. Joseph, the workman, defender of the intercession of Our Lady Fatima, the mother of our Lord, who gave birth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father, very much. I hope and pray that those of you who still receive communion in the hand will stop now and receive only on the tongue. Everyone knows that Friday is a day of penance. However, few Catholics know that Wednesday is also a day of penance. Catholic parishes often have fish fries on Friday, but sadly some have begun having chicken fries as well. I think that's wrong, even if it's outside of Lent, because it sends the wrong message. However, when the next episode comes out next Wednesday, we're going to have a chicken fry, and the chicken we're going to fry is Bishop William P. Callahan of La Crosse.
You'll want to be here for that, but first I have a very special bonus for you. What do Billy D. Williams, the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell, and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross? Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity, how the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. I want to make an addendum to what I've already said. It seems that Father Altman has made a sequel video to the one that got him in trouble, You Cannot Be Catholic and a Democrat, period. It's just a short follow-up called Liberal Catholics Are Wolves in Sheep's Clothing. As a bonus, if you don't mind the extra 10 minutes it takes, I'm going to play the soundtrack for you now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Spirit down upon us like the dewfall, that we may truly become one with your Son, that by the transforming power of the Holy Eucharist we may strive to live up to our duty and our salvation, to be witnesses of our faith unto martyrdom. And we ask for this grace in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Your, your family, it always, always is good to call upon the Holy Trinity whenever one arises at the start of the day, in the morning. We, we call it the morning offering. But also throughout the day, through a simple sign of the cross, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and especially at those most challenging times of any day when we are faced with our own personal climbs to Calvary. We all have them. So family, at this moment, let me allow me to respond to what has become somewhat of an intense, often belligerent reaction to a recent and simply stated truth. You cannot be Catholic and be a Democrat. Well, that simple statement made in the context of an exceptional video presented truth, and it was like, it was so beautiful, it was like opening the proverbial floodgates. Immediately incomprehensible thanks flooded in from all over the world. I even have friends in Borneo now. More testimonies of being confirmed in faith, of being brought back to the faith, of wanting to leave and saying, no, I won't go, I'm finally hearing a voice of truth. Thanksgiving by faithful Catholics everywhere who, to, to quote the most frequent used phrase, were starving for someone to finally speak up and speak the truth. Well, I personally did not see such a reaction from the faithful. Because, well, maybe I'm naive, but I thought we were all taught the truth. That this literally was a no-brainer of a statement. And while preparing for this response, and let us note that roughly three-quarters of a million or more now have taken time to view that short meditation on truth, a short, less than 10 minute video, an exceptional presentation of faith and morals, which is indeed the purview of Holy Mother Church. Well, why was this necessary? Well, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman said, quote, the greatest tragedy 
in the Catholic Church. He said this a hundred years ago. The great tragedy in the Catholic Church is the ignorance of the laity. That's a hundred years ago, a century ago. And who could even begin to pretend, to propose to argue that it's not gotten worse? It has gotten worse, all right. And that isn't me talking. The universal complaint, I've heard it so many times I can't count. All the people are so poorly catechized, so poorly catechized. The church has just done a poor job catechizing. But of course, then when someone tries, well then, as we've seen, all hell breaks loose. We've seen the hell in the left-wing cancel culture. In every way, they prove the proposition set forth by the great Archbishop Charles Chaput, who said, evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant. Then it seeks to silence the good. That's our cancel culture. Every rioter, looter, burner, shooter, or participant in the cancel culture is another attempt to establish through bullying, oppressive, and intolerant socialist attitudes to impose that on us. And we've witnessed a century of their tactics, and we're witnessing it now in the opposition to the video. The video was not divisive. The division already is real. The video only was honestly bringing that elephant into the room, bringing it out into the open. But can we do that? Can we speak to moral issues in the public sphere without being silenced under the guise of being, as I, I think as I put it in that video, too political? Not only can we, as promised by our Constitution and as explicitly supported by President Trump, we must, we must. And for the record, Trey Trainer, head of the FEC, said recently that pastors have a duty to properly form the consciences of their dear families. And that's what I was doing. I hope that's what everybody would do. And more than that, any church specifically could endorse a specific candidate or a specific political party. That's the head of the FEC talking about Trump's executive order. So we absolutely can and should present moral theology in the context of the public sphere. We must do so because as the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen said, a religion that does not interfere with the secular order will soon discover that the secular order will not refrain from interfering with it. So we have to give a big shout out to the vigorous opposition and thank them for revealing their true colors. Not that we did not already know what they were. I heard again that a left-wing news channel kept, keeps hammering the idea that they're going to try to sick the IRS on me. Memo to the bullies. The video was an independently prepared a video. It was not even videoed in a Catholic church, and I was not paid a penny for it. And the Constitution and President Trump, as confirmed by the head of the FEC, protects both my right to do so protects the faith that requires me to do so. So again, thank you to the left-wing bullies, the cancel culture, for just bringing yourselves into the light of day, not that we didn't already know. Which brings us to another quote from the great Fulton J. Sheen. Christian love bears evil, but it does not tolerate it. It does penance for the sins of others, but it is not broad-minded about sin. The cry for tolerance never induces it to quench its hatred of the evil philosophies that have entered into contest with the truth. It forgives the sinner and it hates the sin. It is unmerciful to the error in his mind. The sinner will always take back into the bosom of the mystical body, but his lie will never be taken into the treasury of his wisdom. Real love involves real 
hatred. Whoever has lost the power of moral indignation and the urge to drive the buyers and sellers from the temples has also lost a living, fervent love of truth. Charity then, that word came up in a criticism, charity then is not a mild philosophy of live and let live. It is not a species of sloppy sentiment. Charity is the infusion of the Spirit of God, which makes us love the beautiful and hate the morally ugly. And dear family, that is exactly why the proposition that shepherds of the church must be somehow be like wimps in their language, that somehow we must worry about offending anyone with our manner and our tone is not now and never has been the be-all end-all of Catholic preaching. So in this time of greatest moral confusion, when what is wrong seems right and what is right seems wrong, let us conclude our meditation with the words of Pope St. Pius X from a hundred years ago. I'll listen closely to the Pope, the saintly Pope. Let the priests take care not to accept from the liberal any ideas which, under the masks of good, pretend to reconcile justice with iniquity. Liberal Catholics are wolves in sheep's clothing. The priest must unveil to the people their perfidious plot and their iniquitous design. You will be called papist, clerical, retrograde. You'll be called intolerant. But pay no heed to the derision and mockery of the wicked. Have courage. You must never yield, nor is there any need to yield. You must go into the attack wholeheartedly, not in secret, but in public. Not behind bars, barred doors, but in the open, in the view of all. Unless we think Pope St. Pius X is some out-of-date retrograde himself, as if that were even possible. Let us finalize all this with one brilliant, one-sentence summation of Cardinal Seurat. Do not deceive people with the word of mercy, because God forgives sins only if we repent of them. So anyone, anyone can, however erroneously, complain about my manner and tone or divisiveness in the video, but good luck. Good luck when you get to the gates of heaven because Cardinal St. John Henry Newman's going to be there. Pope St. Pius X is going to be there. Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's going to be there. They'll be standing at the gates. And the likes of Cardinal Seurat and Pope Benedict XVI, whom we referenced in that first video, they'll be behind you or they may even get there before you. And you will get crushed in a sandwich of truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wasn't that great? Now be sure and tune in next week when we present episode 91 a Chicken Fry, The Injustice of Bishop Callahan to Father Altman. And don't forget to leave your comments below my show notes. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. They need to be listening to The Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 
Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find the Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.